0: All right. Welcome, listeners. And uh, this is uh, this week's edition of News from the Drug War Front. My name is uh, Jeff, and my co-presenter, as always, is Marion. Good morning.
1: Good morning, Geoffrey. And good morning, listeners. How are you, my darlings? Yes. It's let's... a reasonably nice morning.
0: It is a reasonably nice Everybody
1: morning. open your eyes and, you know, when we go for a song, if you don't like the song or even if you do, turn up the radio, go and get a coffee and sit down time for an hour and a half of news from the drug war front. Well, I'm happy to
0: report that a long-time request from one of our regular listeners, Jack, for... Yep. Velvet Underground's original version of Heroin, I found, Oh,
1: excellent. Uh,
0: going through um, my piles
1: of CDs, so um, we'll play that later on in the show. Oh, good. And we'd say we a shout-out to Mary, too, because I owe her one, and to Pete and Jack, because we know they always listen, too. So, thank you very much, gang. Good to hear from you, and nice to know you're listening. Yeah, look, a shout-out to all listeners. Um, Absolutely. No matter how long. Yep. Yeah, how if long we knew your me. names, we'd be yelling them out left, right, and centre.
0: Absolutely. And look, um, like it or not, <laughs> things have been overhauled in terms of social media for Karma. Like the website's getting a makeover. Oh, nice. Um, a new communications uh, person, Mitch, is really good at this sort of thing.
1: That's excellent. So
0: um, we will have uh, a fresh look for um, all social media stuff next year. And it'd be nice to have um, yeah, more interaction and feedback from. Look,
1: look, I've got a new phone and with any luck I might even be able to do things on it <laughs> <That> <laughs> because it does it by itself. I, it's actually got a thing that says, I'll yeah, send a text, talk to me and I will change it into a text. And I thought, wow, it's okay, mean, means amazing. I don't have to be able to spell.
0: <laughs> even the likes of you and I who aren't really yeah.
1: okay with oh, well, Look, I'm just, oh God, just and cannot do it, can't do it dreadful I just go into shops and say I don't know how to use the check-in thing just take my phone and my phone number and my name and that'll do have do to do me. yeah
0: fair enough all right welcome listeners to this week's edition of news on the drug warfront which is brought to you by karma the Canberra Alliance for high minimization and advocacy which is a peer-based community controlled drug use organization with over two decades uh, serving the ACT and actually on that um, very uh, point I've got a, a little um, a uh, contribution from uh, Chris Goff, who's Executive Director of Karma. Yep. 5th of December is Karma Independence Day. Um, and Chris says the 5th of December marks three years since Karma's independence from Aval, the peak body.
1: So that was Saturday.
0: That was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just gone. Which uh, happened on December the 5th, 2018. This is a very important date because it marks the growth of Karma into a professional and vibrant peer-based organisation that represents people who use drugs and drug treatment services in the ACT. Since 2018, 2018 sorry, Karma has grown into a mature and professional community development organisation providing support for our community in frontline services as well as advocating for drug law reform and equal access to healthcare services as a strong consumer advocate. So congratulations to, to the community that is Karma.
1: Yeah, good on you, Thanks, Chris. Chris,
0: That's a a good... um,
1: Yeah, that's a good piece, yeah. Yeah, and it has
0: been a, 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 you
1: know... It's a tumultuous year and it's been a long time coming The struggling to get us independently organised. And I know Chris put a huge amount of work into that and there's been such a... It's been a momentous struggle when you think about it. All peer-based organisations have had their issues, but you're not as far as we go, it seems that we get funded on the basis of every um, uh, every illness that comes along, okay? HIV and then hepatitis C and COVID, you know, it's all outreach to make sure that we know that our peers are valuable, but the Commonwealth... The federal government in particular, our government locally is pretty good, is good about it. Mm-hmm. But federally, it's about, you know, funding peer organisations to make sure that they don't make the rest of the community sick. Well, that and that's, you know, that's an irritant for me. Well, so absolutely. I applaud Chris's, you know, celebration of us as a community.
0: No, well said, Marin. I mean, as horrendous as the HIV epidemic was, it did... It, Gave Link.
1: us an avenue, yeah. yeah.
0: But it has, for, you know, for years, like you said, been focused around illnesses and viruses, yeah.
1: and making sure that we don't give give birth to infected babies, yeah, mm-hmm. or infect the rest of the community, yeah. because we're such evil and infectable people, infective people, if you like. It's just, you know, the whole thing is really ought to be about peers looking after peers. And that's certainly the way karma runs itself. Yes. But federally, you know, it's been an issue. And if you look at the way funding comes, anyway, I don't want to go on no, about that. I know I can rave about it forever, and and we both can, Jeffrey. But it, yeah, I know. Coming back to the fundamentals, it's about us looking after each other.
0: Absolutely. And, and I think karma has really stepped up during uh, it has lockdowns, pandemic. You know, it's been. Quite heroic, um, people that have gone into
1: absolutely, you know, and hot n- zones. The whole point about naloxone is making sure that you don't let your mates die. Yeah, it's about a community looking after, keeping itself alive, keeping others alive. Yeah, and trying to make the rest of society aware of the fact that. You know, drug users are people too. Absolutely. And they deserve the, a whole stack of human rights that generally people don't even realise that, you know, we ought to be entitled to because because we're bad. Yeah. Mad, bad and dangerous to know.
0: Yeah, we're sort of um, viewed with... Um Suspicion and yeah, dislike. Yeah,
1: Yeah, sideways. And and the, the surprise. You read articles. I mean, we're constantly getting articles every week, Jeffrey, aren't we? Hmm. Articles that say, well, what a surprise, you know. Gee, the number of people that are in jail that, you know, really don't use drugs. And, are, you know, how surprising is that? And people aren't necessarily committing crimes for drugs, except in that drug use itself. Yeah, is a crime. However, well,
0: fifty plus years of prohibition to me is the systemic cause of virtually all drug-related harm, right. and,
1: and the propaganda that came with it, you know, and has been growing year on year. You know, people become extremely left-wing or extremely right-wing, and it's almost like it's um, <clears throat> you either have to apologise for being in favour of harm reduction techniques or you have to oppose them
0: mm-hmm.
1: As an, i mean there's one article that we're doing today or we may do today jeffrey that's either or mm. treatment or prevention yep. yeah yeah and i don't think that's right it's not the way it goes it's a it's a continuum it starts with educate people you know educate people on what how do you make yourself happy how do you get happy and then if Drugs do it for you, then how do you make sure that you use them safely? And then if you find yourself in a problem with drugs, how do you get off them? How do you get away from them? It's a big continuum. That's how people's lives go. That's how what life is all about.
0: And it reflects the human condition a lot more than just the black and white. Absolutely. Drugs bad, Yeah, treatment know, or and or, you know,
1: know, And you know the story about alcohol, consumption of alcohol, which is... You know, worse than anything during COVID. What were we, 27, 27 times more likely to get drunk over the COVID period? Oh, just crazy. Highest in the world, weren't we? Yeah, we'll cover that story. Yeah, we'll go to that story. It's that, a good one too.
0: That's based on data from the Global Drug Survey, which has been yep. going for quite some time and produces surprising results. Yep. Um, okay, so just for those who haven't heard the show, we, we do try and report on the whole big picture um, of mm. what prohibition uh, leads to and, um, yeah, also the services provided by Karma and partner organisations. So I guess essentially we're hoping to encourage listeners to think about.
1: Yeah, think differently about from the way that everybody else has been telling them to think for years. We'd like to think the rest of the community listens to us as much as our our, our mates do, yeah, the, our regular listeners, and we'd like to know that people will um, refer a, other people to listen to the show as well. You know, 2XX is, you know, people-powered radio, good thing to belong to, and we encourage people to get, in, become members of 2XX and sponsor it because it's a great community asset.
0: Absolutely. So, yeah. No, they've been great supporters of ours. and you Yeah, know, very good to us. 80-odd original shows produced by volunteers each and every week, which is... That's pretty
1: phenomenal. Yeah, that that is phenomenal. Especially for a small place like Canberra, relatively small place like Canberra.
0: And it's the second oldest community radio station in the country. Is that
1: right? Mm. Yeah. Okay. So do we want to tell them about Karma, Dunham? Why not? Okay. So the people that haven't heard us before, well, I'll just tell you, Karma provides a wide range of services such as client advocacy, peer treatment support, education, creative arts, mentoring and referrals. The connection is Canberra's peer-based drug and alcohol service for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients. Both services are located at the Church's Centre at and Shop 17, Level 1, 54 Benjamin Way. The drop-in centre is open again now and the hours are from 10am to 4pm Monday to Friday. The office phone number is 6253 3643. And Karma can assist people with a wide range of issues, including opioid maintenance treatment, methadone, bup, and more recently uh, bupren- the long-acting buprenorphine, buvital or sublocade treatment for hepatitis C the impact of stigma and discrimination, availability of detox and rehab services, all issues in fact faced by people adversely impacted by prohibition and the war on people who use drugs. Yeah, exactly. Well said, Maz. Um, I'll just mention that the brokerage program,
0: which Karma has been running with uh, funds from the uh, COVID um, situation, has finally uh, expired. The funds have been spent. So that's helped lots of people with you know, all sorts of things from pain electricity bills to phones to, you know, whatever, um, buying clothes. Um, yeah, it's, oh, that's great. It's, it's been really uh, Good on fantastic them. program. So, OK, look, the contents of this news from the Drug War Front broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views and or policies of the Canberra Alliance um, for Harm Minimization and Advocacy. Karma does not condone nor condemn drug use and does not promote illegal activity. Karma recognises that drug use happens and as such, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages Drug treatment support services, advocacy, and community development. Karma seeks to reduce the harms associated with drug use, as well as the harms associated with the criminalisation of drug use, through the provision of empowering programs. The concentrate on community development, person-centred, holistic healthcare, and equity of health service delivery for all people. Do you want to just mention
1: that the next naloxone? Yes, workshop? I was just thinking that the next uh, Karma overdose recognition and response with naloxone workshop is on the 16th of uh, December that's Thursday week. It starts at two PM at the Early Morning Centre on Northbourne Avenue. And to book a place call Dave or uh, Damo at Karma on six two five three three six four three. Or you can drop in to the early morning centre and talk to staff there to make a booking. Yeah. But it's a um it's a great um education program to teach people how to use naloxone, which is not hard to learn, but the numbers by necessity need to be limited because otherwise you don't give people time to ask the questions that need to be asked. So, you know, get in and get yourself a a a place to go and learn how to use naloxone. Get yourself some naloxone. In fact, get a couple and take one to give it to someone else. Well, okay. essentially,
0: Marion, I think it should be naloxone should be available to anyone who uses opioids, illicit or illicit. You
1: know, I need to go and get a couple more too because I handed out a couple, and uh, I need to restock myself. Yep, so. that's
0: always important. Yep. I mean, uh, the full um, description is uh, opioid overdose recognition and, and response, response with, with naloxone. naloxone. Workshop. So um, yep. it's, it's very, very important and it's great that, um, you know, it can be uh, in person again. Yeah,
1: it is. It's always been available and people have always been able to do at least brief yes. in, interventions with Dave or David or Damo um, while COVID was on, but now they're back to doing it face-to-face, which is much more useful. Uh, and the length of time is, you know, you need that length of time to find out the stuff that you need to know because... Learning how to save someone's life is really important, and feeling good about saving someone's life when they've overdosed or dropped from uh, opioid overdose—it's—it's—it's it's, it's just such a good feeling. It's really well worth it. Yeah, it's really powerful, isn't yep. it? I mean, oh, it is. And the number of people I know that have, you know, that have done it themselves or have been, because people don't remember that they've been brought back from being dead effectively unless you tell them Uh, because people don't remember that they were dead strangely
0: (laughs) and even then i've known people that have refused to accept that it actually happened that that ever
1: happened and you just think wow that's incredible yeah but anyway
0: it's 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 definitely worth doing. If it
1: you, is well worth doing, yeah. So 62533643 is the number, Dave or Damo.
0: Indeed. Well said. Okay, let's go to a song. Yeah, um, let's do that. I love my Jimi Hendrix. So let's play The Wind Cries Mary. Oh, I
1: love that. Oh, they are, Mary.
0: Shout out if there ever yeah. was one. <laughs> oh. Oh, it's great to hear uh, Wind Cries Mary by Jimi Hendrix.
1: That, the ages, I love that. They yeah. are, Mary. Did you like that?
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful song. Okay, it's about 10 minutes to 11. You're with Jeff and Marion in uh, Studio One, 2XX, People Powered Radio, 98.3 FM. News from the drug war front. News from the drug war front. We've got a piece that uh, I was uh, read from uh, Gino Bombaco, who's President of Harm Reduction Australia, and alerting people to... Important information about clandestine efforts by the International Narcotics Control Board to undermine United, United Nations resolutions to reduce restrictions on cannabis, which is sounds like the INCB.
1: Yeah, I wonder who that's staffed by largely uh, people <laughs> that love prohibition. Well, a very large twang. And uh, it's <coughs> it's headed 181
0: non-government organisations from 56 countries call on the International Narcotics Control Board. Drugs Agency to create transparency and accountability in cannabis guidelines effort. The International Narcotics Control Board, or INCB, is creating documentation inside the drug control system to facilitate worldwide medicinal medicinal cannabis trade and research. However, INCB's proposed global, quote, cannabis guidelines and the drafting process itself seem to contradict last year's key scheduling vote by favouring an increase in restrictions. INCB's guidelines will orient and shape government regulations, impact the lives of many patients and farmers across the globe, and undermine the work of doctors, health authorities and many others. INCB's rogue initiative threatens trust in a functioning legal order, affirmed on 2nd of December 2020. 181 non-profit organisations from all over the globe have endorsed two letters. One (coughs) address <clears throat> excuse me, one addressed to the INCB President, Jit Pavadia, and the other sent to inform the UN Secretary-General, Antonio Gutierrez, about the situation. These letters spell out how we, as civil society stakeholders, want to help the INCB meet the challenges of our world. This is why we've compiled proposals inspired by successful working methods of the broader UN family. Our suggestions are summed up in six recommendations. The first is to disclose the INCB, be documentation like other similar UN bodies, uh, opt into the UN online documentation access and archival system, extend the civil society consultations to all areas of work of the board, call for and collect written contributions from non-state actors, allow non-government organisations and non-state actors to participate as observers in International Narcotics Control Board meetings. That'd be nice.
1: Yeah, Bit well, of transparency. a transparency. idea. Yeah.
0: And finally, scale up country visits inspired... Uh, in the Human Rights Treaty body's annual review mechanism.
1: Mm, Last year on this day, um, and that was the... Oh, I haven't got the date there. Okay, last year on this day, um, the UN took the bold step of removing cannabis from the strictest schedule of the 1961 Narcotic Drug Convention Treaty, six decades after its placement recognising the therapeutic value of this ancient medicinal plant and no longer considering it as a, quote, particularly liable to abuse and to produce ill effects, end quote. The the vote followed an independent scientific WHO assessment, which reviewed evidence and multi-stakeholder testimonials from all corners of the world. Conversely, since 2020... INCB has been developing its guidelines in complete opacity, meaning you can't see through it, meaning no transparency, raising concerns about the legitimacy and scope of the process, a fuzzy mandate and risks of conflict of interest. While not binding, these guidelines will impact and shape regulations of cultivation, trade, production and use of a traditional herbal medicine and a plant indigenous to many regions of the world. It risks becoming a standard, particularly among smaller nations, with less capacity to establish their own regulations. Our organisations strive for global health, human rights and sustainability. We recognise INCB's importance in helping governments ensure access to and availability of controlled medicines for all patients in need. But ICNB, uh, INCB, sorry, alone, cannot shape the economic, social, environmental and cultural future of our communities. Much
0: nor as they want to.
1: No, and (laughs) they can't do it without being at least looked at, perused, looked over or guided by other people because if they're running, putting out, pieces of paper that are running counter to 151 organisations representing 56 countries, it, you know, it just seems ludicrous. They're contradicting themselves, and this has always been an issue for mm. us and why we actually had this show. Anyway, the end of the article is, the, the quote, The International Narcotics Control Board has vastly o- overstepped its limited mandate and mission. Even the UN Security Council, historically one of the UN's most secretive bodies, has been shown to be more open, transparent and participative than INCB. That's from Kenzie Ribulé-Zemuli. A good quote. It is a good quote and it's really important. The INCB, I suspect, is probably the one that's been conducting. Remember, I I think oh, a couple of years ago, I told you Gabriel Bama was invited to... Um, a conference at a very very lavish conference but a very closed conference, very limited invitation only conference in the countryside, rural England. And they were treated, you know, those that were invited were treated with like kings and queens basically, fed beautifully, accommodated wonderfully. And this was in a castle in England somewhere for (laughs) crying out loud. But the whole point of the conference or the meeting it was called was basically to speak to people against their uh, the work that they were doing, right to convince them that the work that they were doing was wrong. and at that stage, Gabriel was doing the work on on uh, the heroin, heroin trial, trial. the, yeah. the uh, feasibility yeah, of a heroin stu- uh, heroin provision program. Uh, in Australia, and so that's why she got the invitation. Wow! So it was really quite a, a so like this not this opacity or non transparency uh, is really quite um, quite a valid thing to say, you know. And this INCB, I think, has been around for a long time, mm-hmm. issuing statement after statement that undermines. What most people know to be true, like the fact that marijuana has been available and has been used for a couple of thousand years, as has opium, mm. yeah. been used for a couple of thousand years, indeed, just crazy. Anyway,
0: yeah, look, I think you're absolutely right, Marion, that, um, one of the problems with under or changing the convention, United Nations conventions, is there's a, a vast bureaucracy that has grown up.
1: It's got a vested interest in keeping itself going too, hasn't it? It
0: has a vested interest in maintaining the status quo. That's right.
1: The millions of pounds or dollars that are invested in it or that are made from keeping the drugs illicit and um, difficult to obtain and the underworld that it supports – is just uh, phenomenal. You know, it's gobsmacking if you think of the amount of money that – and the countries that are controlled mm-hmm. by – so the INCB, you know, it's a real worry with no transparency.
0: Absolutely, and they want to keep it that way.
1: Yes. And, and one of the other things is
0: you get countries like, you know, Russia, China, Saudi Arabia, you know, other countries that have since the US has become a little more progressive with, you know, states um, legalising cannabis yeah. and –
1: well, it's fundamentally their role to say no to everything. No to isn't everything. It? Because, yeah. you know, for a long time, that's all they've ever done, just contradict. Yeah. And anyway, we're going to run into the news any minute now. Oh, we have
0: the news coming up at 11 o'clock, so, yep, um, so we
1: better not miss that. But there's just something worth thinking about, listeners, that, you know, there is this thing called the INCB, and this is keeping such a lot of st- people in the dark. Um, and producing bits of paper that you know need to be thought through more seriously, and probably shouldn't be produced at all.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And be aware that there are vested interests. Who that
1: and this is one of the organisations that represents those vested interests. Has yeah, a lot
0: of power. Yep.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, coming up to the
0: news, uh, we will go to that, and then come back after the news
1: and have a yeah a song maybe straight after. Okay.
0: All right, it's four minutes after eleven. Welcome back to this week's news from the drug war front, uh, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Home Minimisation and Advocacy. And uh, I found a story actually uh, produced by a Current Affair, which um, normally has a pretty jaundiced um, take on the whole issue of drug use and drug users. But this one has uh, got a little bit more of a balanced view. It's entitled "Treatment or Prevention? Question Mark: The Drug Debate." December the first. Imprisonment rates in Australia are the highest in history, even though crime rates are falling. We spend around $5 billion a year on our jails, with a huge number of people being behind bars because of their drug use, mainly heroin and ice. There's currently a debate in New South Wales, which has been closely watched by other states. Should we decriminalise the personal use and possession of hard drugs such as heroin and ice? And it's a debate being held in the ACT as well, I might add. It's a divisive debate, but former user Liz is proof that people can be saved if we provide the help. Liz found help in the shape of the Wayside Chapel. Quote, there were staff members who never judged me and they just accepted me as I was. They never said, hey, you're off your face. You're a bad person or a criminal. They just accepted me. Wayside Chapel ran the first heroin injecting rooms to get some control over an out of control epidemic. The result was a dramatic drop in addicts on the street and crime. Quote, our centres are overcrowded and underfunded right now, said John Owens, the head of Wayside Chapel. He said prisons simply don't enable drug users to become clean, costing a lot of money for no result. Pastor John Owens from the Wayside Chapel also does not believe that prisons are the answer, and he's quoted as saying, we shouldn't be punishing people and putting them into an already overcrowded prison and court system. And let's be honest and realistic, there are far more drugs in jails than there are out on the streets. For others, however, treatment is key, but legalisation is not the answer. Andrea Simmons runs Queensland's Anti-Ice Campaigners. She says prison remains an important deterrent. I don't believe in making it legal, even for personal use. This is a poison. It is hurting not only the person using, but our society, Ms Simmons said. If you make it legal, it's going to make it more readily accessible and available, and that is giving the wrong message to our youth and society. We often hear that um, argument about quote-unquote sending the wrong message, um, it's, uh, it's one that we hear often, and I think the debate at this stage is more on the long lines of decriminalising small amounts for um, personal use rather than uh, the extension to the whole um, concept of legalising illicit drugs. But anyway, that was from A Current Affair, December the 1st. Uh, look, I'll go to the song. It's been um, a request for a long, long time by a regular listener. It's the uh, original classic drug song, Heroin, by The Velvet Underground. So um, here's The Velvet Underground.
1: That's a, of, a, yeah. It's the first the, time I've heard all of that, Jeffrey. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. One of the great
0: drug songs ever written.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> you can understand why Jacob would want to be hearing it. The really representative of, and you know, Lou Reed is just such a poet, isn't he? You oh, know, absolutely. His head and his heart seem to be connected, and yeah, you know, just just his 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 use of language is phenomenal. I reckon.
0: I, I agree, Marion. I think he's a, a poet who expressed his poetry through music.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: And the fact he was only 22 when he wrote that, I just find staggering, really. It's, yeah. it's a, It's a, an amazing piece that stood the test of time. Okay, it's about uh, 14 minutes after 11. You're with Jeff and Marion in Studio One at X FM. from the drug war front. 98.3 FM. Now, I thought we'd do this one. Um, I mean, alcohol is a drug after all, Marion, as we... Um, believe it or not. Believe yeah. it or not. There's uh, a <laughs> lot of our politicians who... Um, Like to cast aspersions on people that prefer drugs other than alcohol and talk about... There's
1: been actually quite a lot on the TV over the last week of, you know, footage from um, the floor of the Senate and from the House of Reps of a particular... I think it's a senator who might have been a touch... intoxicated under the weather? ..a little bit intoxicated, um, saying some interesting... ..or throwing some interesting accusations or allegations... At people saying some nasty things and might have been a little bit intoxicated, but yeah, it's a ni- this is an interesting story because it doesn't surprise us, no, um, and obviously doesn't surprise Jack Revelle who wrote the article. But anyway, yeah, yeah.
0: there's a, a heavy dose of hypocrisy, isn't there, in terms oh, of just, political yes, class absolutely. with a taxpayer subsidized bar? And you know, yeah, um, I mean, come on, all right, this is uh, yeah, by, as Marion said, by Jack Revelle from the thelatch.com.au, December the 3rd unsurprisingly, Australia was the drunkest nation on the planet during the pandemic. We'd be lying if we said that we were surprised by the results, but Australians got drunk more times than any other nation on the planet during the pandemic. New data released by the Global Drug Survey has found that Australians reported getting drunk 27 times during 2020, compared with the global average of 14.6. Quote, drunk is defined here as having drunk so much that your physical and mental faculties are impaired to the point where your balance or speech are affected, you are unable to focus clearly on things, and that your conversation and behaviours were very obviously different to people who know you." End quote. Data was gathered from over 32,000 people across 22 countries, and it shows that Australians topped the list in heavy drinking, with Denmark, fin- Finland, and the United States following up behind. Mexico was bottom of the list, with people there getting drunk only 8.9 times throughout the year, whilst their Kiwi neighbours across the Tasman only got drunk 10.3 times. So that's
1: no, nearly a third. It's, that's actually amazing ever. because I thought um, in Finland, in particular, that their their drug of choice was alcohol.
0: And given the weather, you and know, that's
1: the major problem. In, yeah, that's the major problem in Finland, particularly with young people, is alcohol.
0: Mm. The results are not hugely surprising, given that they are broadly in line with the results of the previous survey. However, Aussies actually drank alcohol on considerably fewer days than the top-ranking countries for consumption. We only drank alcohol on average 106 times during the year, still slightly above the global average of 101 days. People in France, on the other hand, drank alcohol on 132 days of the year. However, the French report only been drunk 17.5 times across the year. This would suggest that while we drink less frequently, we go harder when we do.
1: (laughs) A big understatement. Lead researcher of the Australian arm of the GDS RMIT University's Dr Monica Barrett says that Aussies got on the beers during the pandemic and that our rates of drinking appeared to be unaffected by global trends that saw drinking on average decline by 9% during the first pandemic year. Barrett said that, as some parts of Australia experienced extended lockdowns in twenty twenty, most of the country was relatively unaffected by the pandemic compared with European and American nations. Quite this may have something to do with us being the highest ranked country for frequency of getting drunk, she said, although we can still uh, we can also see drinking cultures play a role with Nordic, British and North American nations also reporting relatively high frequencies of drunken episodes. People appear to regret almost a quarter of the times they've gotten drunk, with women more likely to regret drinking on average than men. The data suggest that drinking too much too quickly, mixing drinks and being with people who engage in heavy drinking are things to avoid if you want to steer clear of the guilt. Psychedelics' as a do-it-yourself mental health treatment is the next item. Other data gathered through uh, GDS also found that one in four of those who use psychedelics in the past 12 months reported microdosing, with three quarters saying they experienced no side effects from the practice. Microdosing involves taking a low dose of a psychedelic drug for their reported performance-enhancing qualities or their alleged ability to reduce symptoms of stress and anxiety. Around half of people taking prescribed medications for mental health conditions who also microdosed said that they reduced or stopped their medication entirely as a result. Barrett said that although microdosing appeared to work for some people with mental health issues, stopping psychiatric medications without medical supervision can be dangerous. The Therapeutic Goods Administration or TGA does not yet recognise psychedelics like MDMA and psilocybin as legitimate medicines to treat psychiatric conditions. However, many people are already turning to microdosing as a do-it-yourself solution, according to Barrett. The TGA recently decided to hold off deciding their ruling on psychedelics Pending clinical trials, she said.
0: Look, I know a lot of people are hoping for a positive outcome on that um, change in guidelines. Oh, look,
1: I wish they would. As a, a psych-trained nurse, Jeffrey, yeah. I was always, always horrified that the whole idea of putting people on psych drugs or anti-psychotics... Um, was all about control for mm. a kickoff, and it was for life. The people were put on these drugs for life. And it's freaky when you think about it. that They don't even consider, I mean, psychiatrists don't even consider that the point of somebody taking these drugs for life might produce a dependency, and
0: perhaps. What about the side effects? And, too? Oh,
1: well, the side effects are atrocious. When I think of what, you know, Largactyl does the side effects of like actually are just atrocious and it just it it, you know it's just wrong to shove somebody on a major tranquilizer which is all about just controlling people's Mm -hmm. behavior nothing else controlling their behavior for the benefit of the community i might add Mm. excuse me not the benefit of the individual for the community and that it's never going to stop that's frightening and it's done by somebody else. But if you want to dose yourself with a drug that makes you feel good, mm. not just one that stops you from feeling bad, one that makes you feel good, that's wrong. Yeah. Because you're doing it to yourself. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons for sitting on, in this chair, being on this show, Jeff. Yeah. Just, you know, having watched psychiatry and psychiatric well, psychiatrists. And what they do with drugs and what they don't do with mm-hmm. drugs. And, you know, how what you feel because of the drugs you take is actually not important to a psychiatrist. What's important to a psychiatrist is how he or she diagnoses your condition and uses his or her interpretation of that condition and the drugs that should be supplied to you forever and to th- control your life it's a huge power it's a big power it's yeah. a big uh, very strong and just frightening to think that you'll be on those drugs forever
0: yeah and very hard and don't come, to come off and by that.
1: yourself because uh, you know that's just frightening
0: well you virtually have to convince a mental health tribunal that you don't need it. You know, you know what I mean? It's a yeah, very
1: yeah, absolutely. difficult process. And how do you convince somebody who just prescribed it for you that you don't need it anymore? You can't.
0: Well, on your own, it's almost impossible. You need advocates. and um, You do. I've been in that situation a couple of times and it was quite an eye-opener just to see.
1: Just to see how. Well, it aims to watch people with psychiatric you know, different difficulties, yep. how they get treated. Yeah. You know, talk about lack of human rights yeah. and lack of respect. That's one of them.
0: Well, said. So. see. Okay, this piece concludes illegal drug use and harms during the pandemic. Globally, the use rates of most illegal drugs actually decreased in the last 12 months during the pandemic and associated restrictions. Even among those who continued to use illegal drugs during the pandemic, the rates of seeking emergency medical treatment fell. of people who used MDMA before the pandemic sought emergency treatment, but only half of 1% did so during the pandemic. As you might expect, the use of drugs in public and monitored settings like bars, clubs and festivals was less prevalent in 2020. Quote, while it may indicate that home based use was less likely to result in harm, may also be that there were less people around, like staff, to call for help, Barrett said. Using whilst home alone is a risk factor for overdose and may have contributed to elevated rates for some drug types. Rates of seeking emergency treatment rose over this time for people using new or novel synthetic drugs and methamphetamine. The survey also asked people who use cannabis and cocaine whether they'd changed their use to reduce the risks of spreading or catching COVID 19. For example, by not sharing joints or snorting equipment and social distancing. Over half of people who use cannabis and over 40% of people who use cocaine did in fact report an overall reduction uh, during COVID-19. Quote, Australians were less likely than respondents from other countries to report reducing risks, perhaps reflecting the reduced intensity of the pandemic on the lives of most Australians, except Victorians during 2020, Barrett said. The Global Drug Surveys recently launched their 2022 survey and is currently collecting responses from people, Including those who only drink alcohol or don't consume any drugs or alcohol. You can add your information and the data will be used to inform drug policy debate and create new harm reduction techniques. It's it's a good survey, the global drug survey. Yeah. Held yeah, every year. Very useful. And yeah, some great information and comparisons between countries and drug trends and the dark web, novel psychoactives is always interesting.
1: Well, yeah, and because it, it's um because it's it's it is not you know it's not personal, you're not open and out there and no, you, it's you know and it's you're quite anonymous then yeah. there is no harm to be there's nothing to be gained by lying no basically so it's a um, it's a good yeah good effort well
0: how else do we get accurate information about drug trends and differences in
1: well, yeah. Unfortunately, in the old days, it tended to be made up by people who thought that they knew. Yeah. And um, that has been the other, you know, one of the major benefits of actually having peer organisations. Yeah. Peer education organisations. And looking at the gamut or the, you know, the um, the range of, uh, from harm reduction from education to, of uh, harm reduction from education to treatment, looking at people in the whole of that gamut, just letting people express themselves and accepting them for where they're up to, Geoffrey, because when you do that, they don't need to tell lies. They don't need to tell fibs about what they're doing and how they do it. Exactly. Um, And can learn. Learn ha- how to be safe and learn how to keep their friends safe. Absolutely. And their family.
0: Really important. All right, I might go to uh, another song. This is uh, Limp Biscuit, who a lot of people <laughs> despise, but this is their track, My Way, Limp Biscuit. <laughs> All right, that was Limp Biscuit and My Way from their album, Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog <laughs> Flavoured Water. It's... Um, 28 minutes to 12, you're listening to News from the Drug World Front with Jeff and Maren. We've got an interesting story, international story from Britain, about a overhaul of the UK drug strategy, which um, some of my friends from the UK are not particularly impressed by,
1: Maren. Mm. Yes, I saw a bit on the uh, BBC News this morning too. And uh, anyway, we'll start off this article, they seem to have changed their funding level a little bit too. Anyway, it says UK drug strategy overhaul to focus on recovery, not prison, by Ione Wells and Jack Fenwick from bbc.com. Uh, December the 6th, well, yeah, maybe. The government will announce a new drug strategy on Monday overhauling the drug recovery and treatment system, the BBC has learned. The announcement is expected to pledge £700 million over three years, to tackle problem drug use. Measures will include a large focus on diversion, a tactic designed to remove drug users from the criminal justice system and get them into health care. Ministers are also set to announce investment to tackle drug gangs. The overhaul has been drawn together by at least six government departments, the BBC understands, and just by the by... Uh, this morning the BBC said that um, I think it was £928 million that they were investing, not £700 million, but this was possibly a little bit before they put out the media release. It will form a part of a wider week of law and order announcements from the for the government, which a source involved in the drug strategy said had frustrated some of those who worked on it who wanted to make clear these measures would lead to fewer cl- crime-focused drug policies. The government has, asked, has been asked to comment. The diversion strategy is expected to be twofold. Short prison sentences for drug use will be complemented with recovery programs and there will be less emphasis on prosecuting people caught with substances. In Scotland, prosecutors can refer people accused of drugs offences for, quote, diversion, end quote, and their Lord Advocate said people caught with Class A drugs could be given a police warning instead of facing prosecution, a move the Conservatives said had previously amounted to de facto decriminalisation. Yeah, look, I think the Tories have had a,
0: a strong prohibition overall outlook on these issues.
1: Yeah, and I think the um, these things relate to England and Wales, not so much Scotland. Yeah. Scotland's got its own because itself it's parliament. Self, its, yep. its own parliament, its own self, yeah, self-government.
0: Okay, the next subheading is chronic health conditions. In his party conference speech, uh, PM Boris Johnson accused Labour of, quote, decriminalising hard drugs after Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer said Scotland's decision was, quote, probably the right thing to do but was an independent decision. The Times newspaper has reported drug treatment courses could be offered to those whose offending was fuelled by drugs, giving people the option of changing their behaviour or facing tougher punishments. One source heavily involved in forming the review told the BBC, quote, Ministers have now accepted this problem drug use is a chronic health condition. Wow, it only took uh, 50 years. Yeah. However, they added that because of concerns over how that would be viewed by the public and conservative voters, it was unlikely the government would want it to be the focus of the announcement. The Home Office had been asked to comment. As well as an overhauling of drug treatment plans, ministers are expected to outline more investment to tackle county lines drug gangs, urban drug dealers who sell to customers in more rural areas via dedicated phone lines. The strategy has been drawn up as a response to the Dame Carol Black Review of Drugs, which reported in the summer and made 32 recommendations. The BBC understands the government has accepted at least 31 of these. Well, there's only one more. I wonder
1: what the other one is.
0: Which one? It's probably
1: a legalisation one. (laughs) Probably. Yeah.
0: The Times also reported the government was seeking to amend its police crime sentencing and courts bill to give judges extra powers to order drug testing of anyone serving a community sentence. This sounds just more punitive stuff doesn't it really unfortunately it said drug testing could be required on arrest for all crimes and the government could outline plans to use drug dealers phones to identify and support addicts and warn people they were not anonymous when buying drugs the BBC has been told there will be no announcements on heroin assisted treatment or drug consumption rooms politicians in Scotland have been pushing for the latter to be introduced but a source involved in forming the drug strategy said number 10 and the Home Office were, quote, very against them and a move in that direction may have needed a change to the Misuse of Drugs Act. Both departments have been asked to comment. Those drawing up the drug strategy were instructed to find ways of introducing new policies without having to make major change to legislation.
1: Mm. So the governments departments have been, asked, have been asked to comment but none have no by the sound yeah. of it. Yeah. Anyway, it goes on. It's also understood there'll be like, there will likely be no specific funding in this strategy for prisons to replace methadone with abstinence-based rehab. A plan reported by the Telegraph newspaper, uh, a plan reported by the Telegraph newspaper earlier this week. However, Dominic Raab, the justice secretary, is expected to publish a separate strategy on problem drug use in prisons in a government white paper. A government source told the BBC this would allow governors in prisons to be more empowered to take action against drug use. The Times reported it could also involve further airport-style security in prisons for visitors and staff to prevent drug smuggling. A source also told BBC News ministers were set to announce a consultation on a victim's law that could enshrine victims' rights in law. One plan, piloted already, has given rape victims the automatic right to pre-record evidence in trials, which has, been taking place, which has been taking place at several Crown Courts in Leeds, Liverpool, London and Durham. Separately, the Law Commission, an independent body that advises Government, is expected to release its review into hate crime, soon to explore how to make existing laws more effective. On Saturday, the children's charity, Plan International UK, responded to reports the Law Commission was set to make public sexual harassment a criminal offence by saying the government, quote, must act swiftly on this recommendation. The Telegraph reported the review would stop short of making misogyny a hate crime, which some campaigners had called for.
0: That sounds a very mild and modest... uh, Well, maybe
1: that's the one... one Maybe that's the one recommendation that they said, no, we're not going to make misogyny a hate crime. When, you know, there you go. So they're not going to make the one that 50% of the population... ..that affects 50% of the population negatively. They're not going to make that... ..take that up, take up that recommendation. That's a real problem.
0: Yeah, the thing that leapt out for me was uh, Boris Johnson accusing Labor of, you know, decriminalising hard drugs after, you know, the Labor leader said something positive about proposals in Scotland, you know. Yeah. It's just such an easy law and order tactic, isn't it, especially for right-wing government.
1: He's a one-liner, that man. He really doesn't have a... You know, the only thing that he can possibly do that would make me any less (laughs) um, enamoured of him is to stop ruffling his hair to make <laughs> it look unattractive, make it look all mussed up before he goes on television. Really, I mean, that's just kind of artificial casualness. Did, you know what yeah. I mean? It's just bullshit. Did you
0: ever see the spitting image political satire? They used sort of like puppets. It, I, I saw it years ago, but I think it's made a comeback. A friend from the UK posted a couple of Boris Johnson satirical pieces, and they were just hilarious.
1: Yeah, it's
0: a bit. I mean, he's easy game, I guess. Really, with the I hair. Look,
1: and yeah, he, but he he does things on purpose. You know, he is a um, he's an artificial person mm. in such a lot of ways. Everything he does is constructed to make him look casually. One of the gang. Yeah. Yeah, and yep. yet he is anything but.
0: Well, he this won is an the boy flight. that wanted
1: to be the king of the world. I mean, oh. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he still thinks like
0: that. I would imagine. Um, just before we go to a song, I just want to do um, people that love, who love hard rock, um, the show that comes on at 12.30 after us. Uh, oh yeah, Lunchbox Indeed. With yep. Rod. Um, he's got the biggest collection of classic rock CDs that he carries around in a little briefcase. So is it
1: still called Lunchbox? Um, Used to be called Lunchbox, but anyway, we just want people to listen to it. It's a really great, yeah, yeah, great show and Rod good show people 12, to listen 30, to it. Yeah. yeah, one of the ones produced in Canberra, four Canberrans by two double X. I thought I might play House of the Rising Sun. We haven't heard oh, that yeah, for a while. Oh yeah, do that. That's a great idea. Yeah, do do.
0: Okay, all and, uh, right. That was the animals in House and House of the voice, Rising hey? Sun. Yeah, oh, he could sing, couldn't he? Could he ever? What a voice. Okay, look, um, don't know if we have got. Time to get to the entire story. It's from a medical website from the US called medpagetoday.com, November the 23rd. Can safe injection sites save lives? By Shannon Firth, question mark. Advocates and critics debate the merits of the harm reduction model and what defines success. And of course, in the US, harm reduction was a dirty word for a long, long time. Indeed. Public health advocates and researchers drilled down into the risks and benefits of opening safe injection sites, spaces where people can legally consume or inject their own illicit drugs under medical supervision in the United States during a panel discussion hosted by the American Enterprise Institute. More than 100,000 Americans died from drug overdoses in the 12-month period ending in April, according to Centre for Disease Control data, a number that represents a nearly 30% increase in deaths during the same window the year before. Proponents of safe injection sites, also called safe consumption or supervised injecting sites, say they prevent drug overdose deaths while also connecting participants to counselling, treatment and other health services. Critics, however, like David Murray, PhD coordinator for the Centre for Substance Abuse Policy Research at the Hudson Hudson Institute in Washington, DC, say that these sites uh, encourage and enable high-risk behaviours. Quote, if someone falls in the water in a river and you rescue them and you then leave them back in the you leave them back in the river again, that act of saving a life is a worthy goal, but it is not a strategy, said Murray, who questioned whether safe injection sites are in fact saving lives. More than 100 such sites are currently operating in at least 10 countries, including Australia, Canada, France and Germany, but none have legally opened in the United States. Philadelphia, San Francisco, New York and Seattle are inching forward with plans to open such facilities. And in July 2021, Rhode Island became the first state to authorise a pilot program. But in every case, proponents have met roadblocks, usually in the form of local or federal officials who oppose the plans.
1: Now, I would have thought that this title was actually rhetoric, Jeff, but it sounds like they're serious. Closed doors at every turn, the article goes on. One unsanctioned site has been operating in an undisclosed city in the US since 2014 and has shown positive results that a section of the Controlled Substances Act specifically prohibits any site from opening, quote, for the purposes of using, selling, storing or manufacturing drugs is a definite obstacle, noted Rhonda Goldfein, Executive Director of the AIDS Law Project of Pennsylvania. To date, there have been no fatalities at any safe injection site, said Goldfein, who is uh, also Vice President and Secretary of Safe House, a non-profit organisation looking to establish a safe injecting site, injection site in Philadelphia. Other benefits of the site, she said, included decreased fatalities in the surrounding area as well as a reduction in public use of drugs and drug-related litter. Importantly, the facilities have not been shown to increase crime in the nearby community, she added. However, proving the merits of such facilities in the US is impossible without a site to study, Goldfine pointed out. We've been threatened with arrest if we open, she said. So, despite having a great idea, promising data and the drive to pursue more robust research, she and other advocates are unable to move forward, Goldfine said. The US attorney, in Phil- uh, U.S. attorney in Philadelphia sued Safehouse in 2019 to prevent it from opening a site. The nonprofit won at the district court level but lost at an appeals court in October. The Supreme Court decided not to review the case, which now sits with the original district court, Goldfein noted. She said she anticipates that Biden administration will weigh in by January the fifth, twenty twenty-two. Unlike the Trump administration, which pledged to crack down on these proposed sites, the current administration has signalled they may be more open to safe injection sites. Nora Volkov, MD director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse, or NIDA, in an email to Medipage, uh, MedPage, sorry, today MedPage today in July lauded the idea of increasing harm reduction research, noting specifically that supervised injection facilities have shown, quote, some promise in reducing harms and social costs associated with injection drug use. The quote goes on, if demonstrated to be effective, she wrote, overdose prevention centres could be another valuable and innovative tool to support and care for people with substance use disorders. Evidence for safe injection sites is the next heading. But Murray, during Monday's panel, raised concerns over the effectiveness of these facilities. Are we actually saving lives, he asked. I would have said yes, Murray. However, people who use drugs don't inject them solely at the safe injection sites. Many inject or consume drugs multiple times a day in different locations and supporting someone through a mortality episode at a particular moment is no guarantee that a life has been saved. I would have thought that a life would have been saved in that instance most more definitely, Murray argued. He pointed to a safe injection site in Vancouver launched in 2003, which saw its highest participation rate ever last year despite providing record numbers of naloxone reversals and record doses of medication-assisted therapy. The net result in 2020 was a doubling in the number of overdose deaths, he said. Teasing out the real drivers of the increased overdose deaths at the safe injection site in Vancouver is difficult. Goldfinder acknowledged But the current explosion of fentanyl, a vastly more potent and deadly opioid than morphine, into the drug supply cannot be ignored. The quote is, I think it's, with all due respect, a leap to suggest that because there are more supervised consumption sites, there are more people using drugs and there are more overdoses. She added. It's
0: such a difficult topic, this one, isn't it? It is.
1: It's a big, especially when it comes to the emotional part of it, and that's what they're talking about. Are we talking about saving lives or are we talking about instances of a life saved, mm -hmm. yeah? Or are we talking about a long-term, the saving of life in the long-term?
0: And and they always like to say that having safe injection facilities promotes drug use. Promotes drug
1: use. Well... (laughs) With, it's true, it does. It allows drug use. To it doesn't necessarily provo- promote yeah. it. It allows it, well, provides a place for it to happen.
0: We haven't got time to finish the piece, but it does mention some of the evidence that's come out of the Australian experience um, and the fact that there have been no fatalities and just the overall success of the... You know the Kings Cross and Melbourne facilities, and And,
1: what fifteen thousand people visited in a single year, with two thirds of whom had never been to any health services prior to coming to the site, which is
0: a huge tick, huge
1: difference, a big kick, I reckon.
0: I think that's a very important um, point that actually is a beneficial aspect of self. Drug injecting sites that well, gets and overlooked. this
1: Dr. Murray can get away with his arguments as long as they keep the injection sites, the safe injection sites, illegal. He yes. can get away with that yeah. propaganda, yeah, with that. Par- and it, you know, when you are advocating or providing people who are already paranoid about drugs and are already grieving the loss of a loved one yeah. who died because of the strength of the drugs, um you're supporting them in their grief and you are actually promoting that grief into a paranoia about drugs themselves mm. rather than saying, look, you know, your son's stroke daughter, wife, husband, you know, mother, father um, felt good from that. Yep. If they knew what the quality, quantity of the drugs were like, they'd be able to control them. If they didn't have to use alone or use in isolation and were able to be out about it, then they wouldn't be unsafe.
0: And also if there was a safe supply and not adulterated drugs cut with fentanyl.
1: If if fentanyl wasn't an issue, if they could provide it, I mean... They talk about it. We've done a couple of articles from Vancouver where they've said, you know, that one of the problems with cocaine and heroin is we cannot guarantee a safe supply. We can't get a supply of clean heroin or cocaine. So people have
0: no knowledge of exactly what it is that they're
1: taking. How are we going on the... You know, you're uh, well, just,
0: just about time to wrap up and leave for that theme song. But thanks again, uh, Marion, for another yeah. hopefully interesting show. And,
1: uh, yeah, uh, was a uh, yeah. I had a good time today. Lovely to say hello to everybody again.
0: Yep, stay safe. And,
1: uh, yeah, look after each other, and we love you all.
0: And be back again next week. We'll be, be back
1: next week. We'll leave yeah, with take go- care and happy birthday to me for tomorrow. Oh,
0: happy birthday, Mary.
1: <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> 69, she said, hating oh, every minute of it. <laughs> well
0: done. That's a good, good, good well, effort.
1: Well, yeah, I thought I was going to be dead by 50, Geoffrey.
0: We'll leave you with Golden Brown. Back again next week.
1: <laughs> See you.